All right, um, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let me just share a little family story, hopefully frame what, um, what I'm going to talk about. Now, I've got two sons, um, Levi and Asher. Levi, our eldest, when he was young and he was born, we had loads of friends who were really generous and bought us gifts. A lot of those gifts came in the form of cuddly toys. You know, that's what you kind of buy for children, new babies. And when we had them all, we thought, what do we do with those? We just shoved them all in his cot. So we had them all there as a baby. And as he grew, he started to interact with these toys. And one of them, it merged very quickly, was his favorite. And it was a giraffe. It was one of those jelly cat giraffes, which was very cute. And he took to this really early on, and it became his kind of companion, and he loved it, and we worked out, okay, this is, this is important for his life, and like any smart parent with a child who's got a favorite thing, what did we do? We thought we'll buy a backup, just in case anything happened to giraffe, and we had to, you know, go through that trauma, we'll buy a backup, and because we're kind of like that, one backup wasn't enough, so we bought two. And we shoved them in the bottom drawer where all his linen was, just to hide them. And we thought, right, we've got some backups just in case something happened. He'll never know. You know, like the old, you know, the goldfish dies, you get a new one kind of thing. Just the kid won't know. So we got it planned. And what we did is we numbered them on the little label on their bottom just below the tail. We put one, two, and three. And we knew Mel did that so we could wash them in rotation and make sure they all stay clean because, you know, kids, when they love things, they basically get manky because they suck them and they hug them and they just dribble on them. And so you need to wash them, you need to rotate them. So we had one, two, and three, and we were just so chuffed with ourselves. First child, we got this thing nailed, you know, 10 out of 10 parenting. But then Levi was quite an inquisitive lad. He found the other two. So it was like, oh, crumbs. So he remember him coming into our room one time, and he was clutching three of them. And we're like, oh, where, what? And we try to take them away and hide them, and he just, he wouldn't have it. He was like, I want my three giraffe. And we're like, oh, man. So he now, he now had three giraffes. So he went through the, the bedtime routine every night, or whenever he was going down for a nap, it was like he had to have all three giraffe with us. And even before he could talk, boy, he could communicate. If there weren't three you need to get the other two to make up my numbers. And so there'd always be one there. And what also happened, which was really odd, is that he developed an affinity with one of them over the other. You think this sounds strange. And it was number one giraffe, because we could tell from the numbers on there. And this is no joke. He could be half asleep, in the dark, middle of the night, and if you gave him the wrong giraffe, he would know about it. No joke. You would give him the giraffe, he'd be lying there asleep like in his cot, he would take it, do this, and then give it back. Until you gave the right one. And I used to test him. I just, you know, you're up in the night, I've got to do something. And you're trying to settle him. And I'd give him, I'd, I'd find the number, that's number three, let's see. No, give it back. Give him number two, give it back. And I thought, I'll give you number three again. No, give it back. He would know instantly which one was number one. And number one developed a name. Number one became Big Belly Giraffe. And that, don't ask, I just, it just was. You don't mess with a three-year-old when they tell you what their, their giraffe is called. And it became Big Belly. In fact, actually it was Big Belly Baraf because Levi, when, he's, when we told him it was a giraffe, when he started to speak, he couldn't say it, so he called it Baraf. So for 18 months, Baraf, giraffe was Baraf. And me and Mel and Anna, who lived with us, all called it Baraf. Then overnight, he changed and started calling it giraffe. We were all like morons. So everyone else going, where's Baraf? Where's Baraf? And the three-year-old's going, can I have my giraffe? 
And all the people outside are like, why are you idiots calling him bro? Look, anyway, he's now giraffe. Okay, and so he'd always have three in his night, and we were super anal about this. Whenever we went anywhere, we count three giraffes in the car. We count three giraffes out of the car, into the home, visiting family, three giraffes in, three giraffes out. There was no chance on God's green earth we were ever going to lose one of these giraffes. And then it happened. One night, we're going to bed in our new place. So Lever must have been, what, four? It started school, and we're doing the bedtime routine. Bath, prayers, bed. Get the giraffe. There are only two of them. That's all right. We'll find it. It's happened before. It might be in mummy and daddy's room. We look in mummy and daddy's room. It might be on your room, behind the curtain, under the, down the back of your... No, is it in your bed, under your duvet, under your pillow? No, okay, it might be downstairs, playroom, go downstairs, around the playroom. In the, no. It's nowhere... And so we had to come back to Lever and said, we can't find Big Belly, but we'll, we'll look for it. And then one of the worst things in the world a four-year-old could say to his parents was, don't worry, I know you'll find it. And he woed over and went to bed. We were like, oh crumbs, how do you live with that kind of pressure, the blind faith of a kid? And we went outside, we just stood in the lane like, we must find and we tore the house apart looking for Big Belly. There were tears, no joke, from one of the adults in the house. <laughs> one of them. But there was like where there were text messages out to people who knew us and knew the situation. It was literally, we've lost Big Belly, please pray. And you got, no joke, you got concerned texts back. Oh no, that's terrible, they said. That's the worst thing. We will be praying and interceding for you. And we just, we were, we were out, I was out in the garden in the dark thinking they might have taken it outside, although we said, no, let's go around all the, but no, no, no. And this went on for two days. And Levi's blind faith never wavered. And our emotional state became, we just destroyed. It, it, this search for this giraffe dominated our life. We were going, we were guy getting stroppy with each other. Have you, ch- have you looked? Have, are you looking? Are you taking this seriously? I'm like, I'm taking this seriously. We were looking everywhere and then night, there was two nights when he went to bed with this, you're going to find it and we were just, our lives were freaking out. We were praying. My quiet times destroyed. I'm going to be reading the Bible. God, where is Big Bay? I need it because it's just, and it dominated our thinking, everything in our life. I'll be walking around town and I just get visions of giraffes. That? No, that can't be it. It's got to be, you know, and we, we know it had to be in our house. And then on the third day, significant there, third day, but um, we were in the lounge and we went to one of the throw rugs that had just been, is folded up and is always sort of folded up. And for some reason, Mel picked up and flicked it out. We'd been looking under it and around it, but actually we flicked it out. And in the folds, out fell Big Belly. Oh, we praised the Lord that day. Oh, we praised the Lord. And so we, get, we got to go and give Big Belly back to Levi. And he was just, and what did he say? He said, I knew you'd find it. Oh. You're like, oh man, you realize I'm great for a reason. Um, but the search for that animal dominated our lives. It completely overtook us um, for that short period. And I thank the Lord that we found it. And we still have three, just so you know. And what we're going to be looking at, what does that mean today? What we're going to be looking at today is all of us are seeking for something in our lives. Everyone is looking for things. Everyone is searching for something. Everyone is kind of driving after something in their lives. And it can dominate our lives, whatever that is. 
People are searching or seeking after money and riches and the next home, the next holiday, the next car. It could be a political cause. It could be raising money for charity. It could be something, something, something. And what we're going to look at today is what it means, what we're seeking after and how that affects our lives. We're in this series called What's in Your Wallet. We've done the first two parts. We've done loving and we've done serving about loving money leads to disaster and we can't serve God and money. And what we're going to be looking at today is seeking. I recommended a book, The Treasure Principle by, by Randy Alcon, that's just, just a read, nice short book that kind of hits a lot of these issues that would be great to read along. Uh, we've got the series. I've got another one today to give away. Can you check under chairs? If you've got some gold chocolate coins, I will give you a free copy of the book. Check under your chairs. I actually don't know where they are because I didn't put them out. Jeremy did. Sarah, has got it! Sarah, come and get a copy of the book. This is for you. Read it and enjoy. I sent out the link, I think, in the email. So grab a copy on Amazon. Very cheap. You get to keep the chocolate too, all right? You might want to share it with Faye as she's right next to you. Or it could be an awkward sermon if you don't. So we're going to look at this whole area of money and possessions and what it means to be. Just I'll put in the usual caveats I've done over previous weeks. We're not suddenly going to take up an offering. Breathe. The church is not short of money. Breathe. We're all right. We had a director's meeting on um, Thursday. We're fine. We're doing good. Brilliant. I'm not looking for a raise. Don't worry about that. But this is going to get uncomfortable because we're poking the idol of our age. Money, possessions, materialism, all that stuff. And so poking it makes us uncomfortable. I've had comments over the previous weeks that actually this is the case. It's going to be what happens. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're basically going to follow on from the passage we looked at last week. We looked at a section from Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew's chapters 5 and 7 in Matthew's Gospel is Jesus teaching to his followers about this new kingdom. We read a section in chapter... Six, we're basically going to read a section that is going to come straight after that and kind of follow on um, Jesus' teaching on this and uh, looking at this theme of seeking. So if we can put the passage up on the board there, um, I will read it out to, to you. Okay, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arranged like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you'll need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, big idea. Whatever you seek after will dictate your life. Whatever you seek after will dictate your life. I'm going to look at five things um, from this passage. I think it's five. Yeah, five quick things, and then we'll try and apply it, uh, and then we'll wrap up. First one, worry. 
worry. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you put on, if life not more than food and body not more than clothing. It begins with a therefore, which connects it immediately to what has gone before. And the last bit before was Jesus saying, you can't serve God and money. You can't. It's impossible. You've got to make your choice one way or the other. And the result is, if you're not going to serve money, you're not going to, uh, you're going to choose to follow God. There are certain things in your life that actually need to be readjusted. And one of them is actually what we choose to be worried and anxious about, what we choose to kind of spend our time on in our mind. And he's basically saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about those things. If you're focused on a heavenly kingdom and things that bearing up treasures in heaven, there are things that actually shouldn't be gaining your attention. And he talks about some of the basics of life, what you will eat, what you will drink. What's your focus in those things? They are basic necessities, but actually they can cause a lot of anxiety if you're just constantly fretting over them. And actually thinking about our life, actually maybe for us food and drink isn't something that is a, an actual worry, but there are plenty of things in our life that do can cause worry, can cause things to, to buzz around in our head. We've got um, Brexit. That's still happening apparently. Soft, hard, whenever, I don't know. We've got a, got a general election. I got my poll card through Friday, Thursday. There's a general election coming up soon. Who's got their poll card? Ready to vote. What's going to happen with this? Unprecedented, you know, snap election. Oh, lots to do that. What about the NHS? Over the week, uh, weekend got hacked. I've noticed cyber terrorism somewhere doing something and suddenly the National Health Service has been fairly badly damaged by this hack. Oh my goodness, what does this mean for us? What about global warming? What about global terrorism? All these other things that can kind of cause us worry, stress and anxiety. And Jesus is saying, actually, what, when you worry and when you stress, anxiety actually it undermines your trust in God. And if you're choosing to serve God over the things of this earth, money and possessions, particularly we're looking at, if you're choosing to serve him over that, why are you worrying about these things? Why are you spending your time fretting over these things when actually you should be focusing on the things of God and what he's doing? I read someone said, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Worry is practical anything. It's basically saying, God, I don't trust you to sort some of these things out. I don't trust you to work into some of these situations. I don't trust you to provide for my needs. And if we look forward, Jesus then gives reasons why this worry isn't something we should be spending our time doing. It says uh, the next section is about our value. And Jesus gives a couple of illustrations about how valuable we are. He talks about birds. And relates it to food. And he talks about flowers and relates it to our clothing. Two basic needs, food and clothing. And he starts, he talks about the birds. He says, actually, birds do not farm. They don't store up food in cupboards or barns or, or larders or anything. Yet they have plenty to eat. The Lord provides for them. And interesting how he describes about it. What does he say about the Heavenly Father? He says, your heavenly father. The birds, not the birds' heavenly father. He says, your heavenly father feeds them. So these, these birds that aren't even kind of the higher pinnacle of creation, which mankind was part of God's creator, he said, actually, your heavenly father provides for them. You are so much more valuable than they are. You are so, worth so much more, and yet he provides for him. What's the implication of that? He'll provide for you. He'll provide for you. Then Jesus goes on and talks about the flowers. 
Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't need to toil nor spin. They don't work. They don't make clothes, sewing, all that sort of stuff. Yet, even Solomon. Solomon was one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. We looked to him when we did the series on Proverbs. One of the wisest men who ever lived outside Jesus. But also the wealthiest. He had a staggering amount of wealth. Richer than some of our rich people we think about today, he had an abundance of possessions and, and um, houses and, and clothing. And so when you think about what Solomon would have been dressed like, it would have been absolutely breathtaking. I mean, a nearest a king would be something like the queen on a coronation or something like that, but way more opulence that was on display. And yet Jesus makes his point, the flowers, the wild flowers that you see by the side of the road or you're out walking in the park, they were more glorious than Solomon with all his money. And the Lord clothed them. And we see them and they are, they are beautiful to behold. These are intricate patterns, delicate flowers. They are wonderful. But yet, what's, what points do you make about these flowers? They're transitory. They're, they're going to they're gonna pass away. In fact, they'd just be ripped up and burnt for fuel. Yet they were so beautiful and magnificent. And if God clothes them, how much more is he going to take care of you? You are so extremely valuable. You are so extremely important to God. He loves you and he is for you. And maybe here's a challenge for us this week to kind of build this into our thinking and and maybe change kind of our attitudes. I want to challenge you. Every time you see it, but we're going out in the park this afternoon, aren't we, to the bear hunt. Who's going to the bear hunt? Good. We're going to see birds, and we should see some flowers, I guess, as we're wandering around. And you'll do it this week. Every time you see one, I want you to say to yourself, I am more valuable to God than that. I'm more valuable to God than that bird. I'm more valuable to God than those flowers. And God will provide for me. God will provide for my needs. Because that's the implication of what Jesus is saying. He provides for the birds. So how much more is he going to provide for you? So try that. See how. Stop doing the scrapyard thing. We've been doing that for the week, from last week. Try this one for this week. The third thing. About worry, it's pointless. What do you say in verse 27? Sandwiched between those is, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The limitations of our humanness is starkly kind of spelled out there for Jesus. You could fret and worry about everything. Personal needs, countrywide needs, global needs. You could spend so many time and energy fretting about them. But the net result of that is you won't even get an hour older. Not even an hour. Just not even a moment of your life will be added. So you're spending all your time worrying. It's futile. It's pointless doing that and fretting about those things when actually we should be trusting God and looking to him. Now, at this point, if you're anything like me, your mind goes in a certain direction. And I just need to bring you back. What this does not mean... What this does not mean is that we are still responsible for earning a living. We are still responsible for earning a living. You don't get to sit on your bum and expect stuff to just flow into your lap and say the Lord will provide like the birds and I will be clothed like the flowers and I will just sit here and do nothing. 
No, if we're going to take the whole of Scripture, we are still responsible for working, earning, uh, a li- getting a living, however that is for us in the stage of life. We still have to do something. If you think about the birds, they don't store it up, but do they work? Yeah. They're out looking for the worms and looking for the bugs and looking for all those other things, building nests. They do stuff. But actually, God still provides for them. We are still to be caring towards one another. We provide, we, God provides for us, but actually part of that provision is to care for those around us, to be looking for needs, looking to meet needs, looking to, to make sure we're blessing others with what God has blessed us with, to give out to others. And we're also not free from experiencing trouble either. It doesn't mean we're suddenly going to have a trouble-free life. Oh, if I take this, if I do nothing, Jesus will provide, everything will be easy. No, those things we are not exempt for. But we are called not to worry about it. And then he goes on there, the next thing, unbelievers. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. He says, actually, it's the Gentiles seek after those things. Who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles were the non-Jews. And what he's referring to is those, who, those at the time who were outside God's covenant people. They're the people who didn't know God. They didn't know him as their heavy faith. That's, that's, their, that's what they would be doing because they don't have God as the heavenly father to provide for them. You, you know God. You are part of God's people. You know him as your heavenly father. You shouldn't be acting like that. You should be acting different. You shouldn't be have anxious just like those who are not believers who don't trust the Heavenly Father, who haven't been saved, who haven't been born again, actually, you should be acting like you should be trusting God. You should be looking to God. And the reality is what worry is, 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 um, is a natural response to when we're relying on our own abilities. When we're relying on ourselves and we'll provide and we'll do and we'll get and we'll, we'll, we'll. Worry is natural because we know the limitations of our own abilities. We know that actually we can fail. We know we can get things wrong. We know they, they only go so far. They don't actually know we shouldn't be acting like that. We should be trusting God. We should be looking to him to provide. And the nearest I could think for that were my, my two kids who, um, they have a loving father. I will play the role of God in this illustration. Um, but my two kids, they don't worry about what they wear or what they eat because they know that it's provided for them. They don't always get what they want. Boy, do they not always get what they want. They don't always get what they like. Eat it. You know, it's good for you kind of thing. But they get it, and it's not something they fret and worry about. And actually, as children of God, we should have that similar attitude that actually God will provide for our needs. He will look after us. He will watch over us. Even as we pray to him, what does it say in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Not bread and cake. I wish he had put that, but he didn't. He just said bread, basic, sustainable food. God will provide that for us. And we are to live with that sense of trust. And the last bit there is he challenges our priorities. What does Jesus say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's he saying? He's saying our priorities in life, we should be seeking after his kingdom. We should be seeking after his righteousness, God's right rule in the earth. And that, that, the, the kingdom, had described as I read one of my commentaries, said this, kingdom points to rule and the expression is to be understood in terms of doing the will of God now as well as looking to the coming of his final kingdom. So it's doing the will of God now. Whatever stage of life you find yourself in, whatever your sphere of influence is, wherever God's put you in this particular season, we are to seek 
after God. That should be our primary motive, what he's calling us to do, what he's bringing out in our life. How do we express his rule in our life and the situations we find ourselves in, our work, our home, our friendship network, whatever they are, how do we do that? And then he says, as a result of that, once you're seeking God's kingdom, all these things, what's he referring to? Well, that's the food, the drink, the clothing, your basic necessities will be provided by God as you seek after him. As you put your faith and you trust in him, you will, God will provide for you as a heavenly father provides for his children. Not necessarily getting everything you want, but actually providing what you need to fulfill his tasks. And then the last bit is just a kind of logical end to it where it says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. That's a great one to put on your T-shirt or on your coffee cup or something. Sufficient for today is his own troubles, Jesus. And you're like, oh, cheers, Lord. But today has got enough problems. Why are we fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow? And so my kind of final thing to you today is, guys, what is your priorities? What are your priorities in life? Start doing a kind of an inventory to your life, how you spend your life. And this knocks on from the stuff we've looked at about loving, about serving. Now we're talking about seeking. What are, we, what are the driving forces of your life? What is dictating how you live your life? What, is gui- what are the guiding principles? What is, what is m- making the calls when you have to make big decisions in your life? What are those, the framework within you, what you're working towards? Because Jesus is very clear about what it should be. He says, seek first his kingdom. Seek first after him. He should be number one. He should be the priority. And uh, another way of describing what a follower of Jesus is, a Christian, is someone who puts Jesus first. He's number one. He's of first importance. That's what that first means, first importance. Number one, we would say. What's number one in your life? And for us as a family, I didn't plan it like this as we put it together. It was only as I kind of came to study it, the, the two things mashed up. But actually, for our family, that verse is actually our family verse. Um, 17 years ago, Mel and I got married, um, and part of, I don't know how it came about, but it came about through, obviously, weeks of prayer and intercession, clearly. But we came up with this um, verse, this was going to be our family verse, this was going to define our life. And if you ever go to our house, it's actually written on the wall. We've got a affiliates original thing made of wood, and it says, seek first his kingdom. And for us, this has been kind of the guiding principle of our life. How do we, when we got married, how are we going to do us? How are we going to do however long God gives us on this earth? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do kids if God blesses us with children? How are we going to do work? How are we going to do church? How are we going to do this life that God's in? And it's kind of guided us as we've gone through life. I remember... Uh, well, just not long after we'd been married, a few years, I was working as a school teacher. Uh, Mel had uh, just started work for the local church. She was a youth worker uh, for the church, and we were both kind of enjoying life and getting on with it. And I was approached um, by the leader of the church and offered a position to come on staff, which I was really not happy about because I was teaching and I was enjoying it. It was going well. I was doing okay at it I thought it was good I was enjoying it I kind of had this idea of oh where could I go with this my head teacher who had employed me we'd started having conversations about you know the future what happened and he was talking about what's your next position what's your next job you're going to go for deputy head in a small school that would be a natural thing I was a subject leader across the school a couple of course subjects I was like I was doing all right he said okay maybe that'll be the next thing for you and you know you you follow the career progression who's head teacher whatever 
And then suddenly it's like, you need to come work for the local church. And I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> really, I've got, I'm, I'm doing stuff. We prayed, we talked about it. I thought about, and actually, this was the right, this was God's calling for my life. So for me to seek God's kingdom, I had to actually stop that. Not that what I was doing was bad, and as I tell you the story, I came back to that in years ahead, but I ended up now starting working for the church, uh, which just changed the direction of my life. I was going that way, I'm suddenly going this way, and thought, oh man. We then carry on working for the local church for a number of years, and we felt God start to stir us about moving on from there. And we're going through quite a hard period um, at the church and we felt like God say, okay, it's time to move on. And it came up several times again and again and we faced this real kind of problem that actually we were both employed by a local church, which was wonderful, but actually if you're going to move on, what are you going to go and do? Obviously I'm a qualified teacher, I could go back to teaching. But both of us felt like, well, we're both going to carry on working for a local church. We didn't tell each other that, so it's obviously the other person needs to stop what they're doing because you don't get employed, two of you, by one church. It's just it's too much of a resource hog, too, many, too much in terms of salaries. And so we got to that point, it's like, well, obviously you're going to go and do something else. You know, a bit of friction in the life. And obviously, Mel, you're going to go and find something else to do, and I am the pastor are going to go and be working for the local church. And it got some friction in life, like, what are we going to do with this? Thankfully, by the grace of God, he provided work for us for two jobs. And in terms of what we're talking about in terms of um, the money series, guess what? We got pay rises, quite big pay rises. So seeking God's kingdom was good for us. And we like this. And we went and this guy came and said, I want to offer you jobs. And he said, tell me all about it. Tell me about what you feel gifted about. Tell you what you want to do. And I said, I feel like this. And Mel said, I feel like this. And he said, I will pay you to do that. Oh, almost hugged him. How awesome is that? And he said, we'll give you a massive pay rise as well. And you're like, oh, you're the most amazing thing. Everything was Seeking God's kingdom can be amazing sometimes. It can be so good. And we moved. We established in this other church. And it was wonderful. And then God started speaking again. And he said, guys, it's time to move. It's time to move on. And we're like, okay. It's time to move on. And we went and spoke to the leadership. And they said they felt a resonance in that. And God started talking. And it came at a time in our life where we just started our family. Levi had just been born. He was very young, a few months old. And God was speaking. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. Time to move on. <clears throat> and he felt, we felt, say, it's time to go and plant a church. It's time to move to Sutton Coalfield. Where? Not going to Sutton Coalfield. Came here. Had a visit around. Had a blazing row. It was all Mel's fault blazing row, left fuming, never going back to that place again. It is cursed of God. It's just the worst. Next thing we know, we're going to plant a church in Sutton Coalfield. <laughs> going to call it Real Life Church. But then, and we felt this, was like, this is what God's called us to. How are we going to seek God's kingdom? We're going to go there. But this had some huge ramifications for us. We had to resign our jobs. So those nice jobs suddenly went Mel was on maternity leave. She never went back. We moved here. Because we were moving from a large established church, numerically strong, numerically big, and we came here with a very small team, justifying a salary to work, for a, uh, to work full-time was ridiculous. It was just out of the question. So my hours got drastically reduced to only working a few days a week for the church. I had to make up the others going back to teaching and supply teaching. And actually, as good as that was, and God provided in that, I tried to get a sort of a regular job. It just didn't work. I ended up going supply teaching. Suddenly, our household income went down by about 60% because we lost the salary and the income I was earning from supply teaching didn't match what I had. And suddenly, you're like, oh, my heavens. Some of those questions about what we'll eat and what we'll drink and where we live suddenly became really real. 
and we moved here with a small team. And I looked, I love them, but I looked and I said, seriously, is this it? <laughs> this is it. This is the church. This is what we're going to do. And they were faithful, godly men. They walked with us, but actually seeking God's kingdom really kind of affected us. And suddenly over that first 18 months, two years when I was trying to do two jobs, two jobs badly it turned out, trying to get the church going, trying to carry on teaching my supply teaching and the pressure that put on us financially. God did provide um, because we'd sold our house in Bishop Stortford. We had the capital of the house which kept us kind of going, helped even out the money, so it cost us out of that probably about £10,000 over the, the whole period of time to get the church going and do what we're doing. And so we'd gone from, yeah, we love seeking God's kingdom, look what he provides, to, oh, crumbs, God, please will you provide what we need and look around. You're the result. You're the result of what it is. And as we walk forward and we don't know what's next in our life, we don't know what's next for this church, we don't know where we're going to go, we don't know what God's going to call us to, Our priority is always seek God's kingdom first. And for us today, as we kind of process this in terms of uh, what we're talking about in terms of money and finance, I want to challenge you. What are you seeking first? Really? What is the driver of your heart? Is it the next job, the next promotion, the next thing? What's happening, what's happening, what's happening? Or is it actually, ultimately, are you submitting that to God? Because they're not mutually exclusive, but God can leave you one way, God can lead you the other. And both are also seeking his God's kingdom. And we go through seasons, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's hard, ups and downs. But the question is, what are you seeking? Are you seeking God's kingdom first and foremost? And so, kind of as we've looked at loving, we shouldn't be loving money. We've looked at serving, we shouldn't be serving money, but actually we shouldn't, that shouldn't be the driving force of our life. It's just something else. Jesus said, didn't he? He said, don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because they just fall apart. Scrapyard, charity shop, everything's going to go. Where do we store up treasures? In heaven. How do we do that? By seeking first his kingdom. How do we do that? How do we seek first God's kingdom? Well, it comes start from having a thorough understanding of God's word, learning, growing, reading God's word. That's how we know. It comes through prayer, praying, and having a relationship with God. So if he speaks to us, it comes being part of God's people, the church, part of that community. As you do life together, you grow, you get godly counsel, speaking into you, helping you, processing. You're part of a, a fellowship moving forward, whether it's this one or you might be part of another one. It doesn't matter. You're part of a local community who are going after God. And that's my challenge for you today. So maybe I'm just going to give a moment for God to do some stuff and then we're going to get our wallets out and talk about those. So maybe you just want to close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes saying, say, let God just kind of do some work in your heart about priorities. And ask yourself, why don't you ask God the question, what are my priorities in life? Let him highlight things to you in terms of your family, in terms of your work, in terms of your home, in terms of your friendship. What are my priorities, Lord? Maybe... If you're brave, you're going to ask God, Lord, help me to seek first your kingdom. Help me to choose to follow you first and foremost. Some of you will be worried about certain things. Certain pressures on your life. Lord, 
Give me grace to trust you in those. Trust you with my income. Trust you with my finances. Trust you with my family. Trust you with my children. Trust you with my home. Trust you with my relationship. Trust you with whatever it is. Take a moment to let God work in your heart on that. Now, why don't you just grab out your wallet and have a look at this? We do this, done this every week on the on the, the sermon series. This is our third time. If you've got a wallet or a purse, just grab it out, take it in your hand, and give it a good look at. The first week, we looked at our wallet and we said, "What's in your wallet?" And the the thing that should have been in our wallet was a health warning, because this this thing is dangerous. Money is dangerous. If you love this more than Jesus, it will lead you to disaster. We saw on the first week. The second week, we saw about serving. Actually, we said we're going to choose to serve Jesus rather than this and what this can buy and what this gets us in terms of authority, status, comfort, security. We're going to choose Jesus. What about today? What are we going to seek after? What are you going to seek after? Look at your wallet and say, am I going to seek after this? Is this, is this the focus of my life? Is this the destination of my life, what this can buy? Is this what's going to dominate my life, seeking after this? Because we talked about last week that actually it's like a compass, isn't it? It points to what's important in your life. Wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. So whatever this points to, we'll see what you're seeking after. I'm going to ask you today just to make a, make a statement. Look at your wallet. Repeat after me, if you wish. I choose not to seek after this. I choose not to seek after this. I choose to trust Jesus. I choose to put my faith in Him. I trust my Heavenly Father. I believe He will provide for my needs. I will seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness, and he will provide for my needs. And God's people said, Amen, Amen. Do you want to just stand up? I'll pray. Can the band come up? So I'll pray while you're coming up. And then we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to make declarations that his kingdom comes first, that his kingdom is our priority that we're going to build our lives around seeking after him, looking towards him. Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you that we are part of your kingdom. We praise you that we have been brought into a kingdom. We thank you that we have a heavenly father who loves us. Thank you that we are valued by the king of heaven. Thank you that he has promised to provide for our needs. Thank you that he has promised to lead us, help us. Thank you that, that we have no reason for worry because we have a sovereign God ruling over all things. We love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.